Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 29, for the week of November 5th, 2018. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. We are a couple of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about how voting works at the contest. How's it going, Mike? It's going all right. How are you? I am good. I'm ready to vote on Tuesday, which makes no sense because this program is coming out on Wednesday, because that's how podcast timelines work yeah we, we we would encourage you to get out the vote but uh but I, by the time this goes live it will have happened and we will be swimming in the aftermath although i am in chicago so you know vote early vote often so <laughs> yes vote early vote often as is so often the case for this program news has happened and there's a lot of it let's check in on the news yes how are things going in tel aviv things seem to be bopping along quite a bit uh they announced a what next year's slogan is going to be for the contest i'm so excited what's next year's slogan gonna be dare to dream oh. hmm. yeah okay uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it it rolls off the tongue a little bit better than celebrate diversity true which was I, I do, a thing <laughs> which was a thing and an actual uh tagline for the contest but i feel like if you put all of the various slogans into for example a markov chain generator and like told it to generate a new slogan it would pop that one out like immediately yeah it, it actually is kind of surprising that it's taken this long uh, like i think they started doing slogans in like 2003 2004 and th- this one i would have thought would have been would have been just like top of yeah. the list like right after shine Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like what it reminded me of when I saw it get announced over the weekend, like last week, was something like it reminded me of there's this movie, Drop Dead Gorgeous. It's like the the hometown version of like whatever leads up to Miss America. And one of the scenes is, since it's documentary style, is them just going over like past themes that the local pageant has had and they're all just variants of proud to be an american so what was the theme of the pageant last year oh that was by american and the year before that was usa is a-okay and can you remember the theme of your favorite pageant can i (laughs) amir i can (laughs) people ask me where i get this i don't know it's maybe a gift from god or something Something like that, again, just dare to dream just feels feels just a smidge too generic for my liking. Yeah, I I mean, these slogans tend to be pretty generic. Like this year's was all aboard, which I guess, I mean, they did try to have like a nautical theme throughout the competition. And I think I think they like Portugal like- did a really good job of kind of maintaining that thread all the way through. But like yeah. last year's was celebrate diversity and had australia not been there well, i don't then, know i don't think there was that there that much diversity to be had so. yeah and then like there's there's also been stuff like hashtag join us which I, you have to mention the hashtag because it was in the slogan oh yeah and like hashtag join us is just like should be something that gets posted alongside like the trailer for a horror movie mm-hmm. admittedly dare to dream is is a pretty good pretty solid one as far as these things go it also seems like the slogan came out fairly early this year so maybe it will have some sort of impact on what songs get through it's important to give people time to dream so they made sure to get that out real early yeah yeah the song deadlines are approaching uh for the various mm-hmm. national selections so uh dream faster come on <laughs> dream faster <Chop-chop. laughs> 
along with the slogan, sounds like preparations in Tel Aviv are moving along. Part of the plan is to have 40 stages throughout the city. It's a stage for every country that's going to be participating in the contest. Okay, that is, that's a lot of stages. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think part of it is just to like really encourage people to explore all parts of the city rather than just the concentrated areas where the Eurovision Village is and the actual venue, like actually well, I- going around to see like the city as a whole. Well, especially with Tel Aviv and like the venue feeling smaller this year, mm-hmm. it's probably a good idea to really ex- encourage people to spread out and maybe not be quite so closely packed together. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's going to be friends by the end of Eurovision week next year, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> so because accommodations are rather tight this coming year, they're running out of hotel space. And one of the solutions that they've come up with is getting a cruise ship to be just off the shore in Tel Aviv that people can stay there and then just take a boat back and forth. Oh, yeah, they can take a tender, contract norovirus. It'll be a real fun party. Uh, I, I am not a cruise person, and this is definitely not for me, mm-hmm. but I, I could see... I could see it being like an attractive option. Well, and like I read through the article that that you posted to mm-hmm. our our group chat about this, and on one hand, it does seem like it's going to be a very affordable option, mm-hmm. uh, but also it's a cruise ship, so make sure that you're all about that cruise life. Uh, yeah, and you're cool with like having to queue up twenty minutes to take the tender back to shore so you can go to the Eurovision program. Yeah, and also like having cabin mates that you might otherwise have if you were like just staying in a hotel or an airbnb or something i don't know like <laughs> right, you know, book, book with your friends make sure you're sharing that cabin also it's gonna be real tight quarters yeah yeah uh but i mean i guess that's also just another way to encourage people to explore the city and like do the touristy thing <laughs> but still just have, having to go out on the water particularly if it's like after you're going to the semifinals or the finals like that's could be like having to deal with a cruise ship at like two in the morning like that just does not sound like an attractive option <laughs> So it sounds like uh, we have a we have a slogan. We have a cruise ship. Do we have any any news on the venue yet? We have a stage designer lined okay, up. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's Florian Veder who has designed Eurovision stages. I think this is his sixth one since 2011. He did Portugal this year, which was really well received, and that nobody had any opinions about it at all. Yeah, if you recall, uh, see the last episode of the episode before. One of the organizers in Tel Aviv was complaining a lot about the stage in Lisbon this year. So that must have been fun at the job interview. Yes. <laughs> in the article that reported that Florian Veder was selected, it included a sizzle reel of all of the different stages that the firm has designed. And number one, it was just really cool to just kind of see this sort of presentation because I've I'd never seen a reel like this before. And yeah, like a lot of really cool designs like uh, X Factor uh, in a number of countries, including US X Factor, MTV Music Awards. I think the Grammy Awards might have been in the mix there. Uh, but yeah, if you if you are a fan of the like glowing floor technology, this firm knows how to do that. So this firm can hook you up. Uh, and it sounds like they have a lot of experience with sort of large scale musical events, which is good. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. probably why, why they're your go to uh, Eurovision staging experts. Yeah, it'll be cool to see what they come up with, particularly with the challenge this year of having such a small venue to work with that they still need to have be like just this dynamic stage. And one of the ideas that's floating around is using triangles sort of in the style of the star of david that maybe like 
moving around either between performances maybe during performances who knows yeah i've I've not seen any final design ideas but that that was one that was floating around once the firm was named i kind of want to sit and wait for more info on that one but just triangles i'm on board with triangles Okay, so we got done in our last episode talking a lot about the the reality show aftermarket system. Mm -hmm. How are things doing in the reality show aftermarket system, Mike? Well, in this edition of the X-Eurovision Contestant Factor. Oh, that's very good. I like that. uh, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Brendan Murray is still on UK X-Factor. Okay. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks, I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> last week's theme was guilty pleasures. Okay, which... I don't like that. Music is not a guilty pleasure. Like the things you like, it's fine. Yes, exactly. And also, a number of the songs that were selected aren't really guilty pleasures. Anyway, Brendan did Shares Believe, you know, a song that, like, introduced autotune and reinvigorated the music industry. So, mm-hmm. you know, guilty pleasure. Yes. Um, but then he, like, totally Brendan Murrayed it. So uh, <laughs> it was just so... If you're not on a vocoder in, in like, 30 seconds in that song, get off the stage. Yeah, it, like, he was, like, strumming a, a guitar for no good reason, and... That just, song does not need an acoustic version. Yeah, and it was just, like, doing the same thing that he did with the Ariana Grande song, where it was just, like extracting any sort of exuberance from the melody making a song slower and dirgier does not make it more emotional i did appreciate that simon was not there for it and was just like yeah really boring and (laughs) as a result uh brendan ended up in the bottom two so the way it works on x factor is the uh bottom two acts have to uh sing for survival it's why the show's exciting and uh for his survival song he did uh high and dry by by radiohead radiohead thank you yeah um that, that one actually, like, I'm actually not mad about that one. Like, that one feels right in the Brandon Murray, let's sing this high-pitched, slow song, Wheelhouse. Yeah. And also, like, one of the things that I love about the singing for survival is that's when the real talent comes through. Because it's just like, oh, no, I really want this. And, like, they, they are going to pull out all the stops. And I thought it was a pretty good performance. But... Yeah, the judges ended up going to deadlock, so it was a 2-2 vote, and he he was at the disadvantage going into checking in with the last judge. Like, it was 2-1 to one for him going home, and then okay. went to a tie, so, like, very thin ice there, but the audience saved him. He was second to last in the audience vote, so uh, made, made it through to this past weekend, which was Fright Night, their annual yes. Halloween episode. Uh, he did Young Blood by uh, Five Seconds of Summer and it was fine i was not familiar with that song prior to that performance and yeah like even the original one it's just like i could take it or leave it i just had like the mental image of him ruining werewolf for mitzvah and it brought me a lot of joy (laughs) (laughs) and also specifically a a non-tracy morgan just replacing tracy morgan's vocals with uh with brendan murray's vocals on that song it was a departure like this this one he was actually trying to go for something poppy and i don't think it was the right song choice but it was it was good to hear something different but yeah apparently there were a whole bunch of audio issues that were happening on itv that uh were causing a number of the contestants to sound like daleks from doctor who <laughs> so <laughs> 
which is a BBC property, which is a major factor for ITV. Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was just problems all all around, and it was really weird because it wasn't a live episode; like it was a it was a pre recorded episode. Uh, so I'm not sure what was going on there, but they had to throw out the voting from Saturday and just do all of their voting during the results show. He made it through fine; like he he was not in danger for elimination. He continues on on the program. Yeah, I mean, part of it is his mentor is uh, one of the guys from One Direction. Let's so see. I was watching a video. I'm like, is that Louis Tomlinson? from one direction and i think it is yeah so it might be uh, one of the other ones please do not send us emails correcting me no it it, it is louis okay. and i'm pretty sure that he'll be safe as long because yeah the the one direction fandom is still quite strong and they want their opinions to be known so well, well um, yeah well no i was recently at an all ages concert and was reminded that that usually I show up like 15 to 20 minutes before the show and I have a, a very good like standing position on the floor of, of like our local big concert venue. Uh, with an all-ages show, you have lots of teen girls who will wait there all day. Yeah, yeah. So if anything, Brendan should be able to make it to at least the halfway point. Like I, w- I was genuinely surprised that he was up for elimination uh, last week just because like I thought the One Direction fandom would carry him through at least until like they had to start like kind of cannibalizing that mm-hmm. section and this is why we can't have an x-factor podcast because i'm just going to start getting into like the weird game theory of this so why don't we move on so. yeah, let's, let's move on thank you for the x- <laughs> thanks for the x-factor mike you're welcome so this week in boycotts our our favorite other segment that we do on this program because mm-hmm. there was a whole hullabaloo a few months ago about where things were going to be hosted uh this week in boycotts the irish labor party wants the rte to withdraw if the contest is held in jerusalem and boy do i have good news for them yeah <laughs> So the fun thing about the legislative process is that you can put something on the docket like many, many, many weeks ago and then forget to take it off when like the thing that it's against doesn't go through. And that's what's happened here. I suppose things could change. I mean, any, minute, any, anything can happen. Think, yeah, yeah. But I think for all intents and purposes, we should just assume that it's going to be in Tel Aviv. In, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, everybody seems pretty clear at this point that, that that is the case. But the Irish Labor Party, I believe one or two other political parties have similar motions, like encouraging this. And like, these are non-binding resolutions. It's just mm-hmm. like yeah, this is, this a, a strongly <laughs> worded letter to the editor. Yeah. Yes. I have a feeling this may be the last in the, the, the last discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, things seem to be moving forward. Uh, RTE is pretty solidly set on yeah like mo- most of the networks are like yeah guys we're still gonna go also in the article which we'll have linked in the show notes uh they mentioned that the labor party is like the fourth biggest party so i don't know how much sway they have although this gets into like coalition governments which we do not know about in the this gets into, like whole so. weird voting issues which speaking about whole weird voting issues let's talk about this week's main topic yeah let's talk about voting that doesn't have as dire of consequences yeah that's, that makes me less jittery about about the state of our nation yes um voting at the eurovision song contest so this eurovision song contest has been around since 1956 in 1956 how did they do the voting uh you had two member jury for each nation and what they did is they had two points to award uh they could award those two points to whatever entries they wanted to including their own country so my assumption given that we don't have any data on how the voting went is that everybody voted for themselves except for maybe like one nation and that's probably what tipped the vote one way or the other. Also in the 56 contest each country submitted two songs rather than just one. So I believe there were 14 entries in total. Ooh, so okay. I mean you could have a 14-way tie for first place based on this method, but somehow Switzerland won. This is the one contest where we have 
no actual data. Like, all we know is Switzerland won, and we can assume a 13-way tie for second, so. This is just reminding me about how whenever we have, like, a baking contest at work, we're given multiple votes, and I, even though I try to spread the love and vote for other people's stuff, I do sneak in one vote for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we tried, everybody has two points, and they can give it to whoever they want. That probably didn't work because they immediately redid the, the voting system next mm-hmm. year. And we have the era of, prob- of playing favorites. From 1957 to 1961, the ju- each jury had a pool of 10 points to distribute however they wanted to. Uh, for a breakdown of what that looks like, you have in 1957, uh, Switzerland, for instance, gave seven points to the Netherlands, two to the UK, and one point to Belgium. Uh, the UK uh, gave four countries, two points each, and one point to Luxembourg and Netherlands. So, so like a nice spread. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anyways, that lasted from 1957 until 1961. And 1962, they're like, okay, let's let's simplify this. Let's make let's define this rather than just like ten points you can assign willy nilly. Give me your third place, your second place, and your first place. We'll give the top one three points, the second one two points, the third one one point. Uh, that immediately got uh, redid the next year in 1963. They did five four three two one, so you have five nations getting points. That apparently was still not to the liking of who ran things in 1964 because they completely redid the scoring system and it stuck around for two years. It's really, really confusing. Like I did a double take at this, but it's like, okay, so rather than giving points to five countries, you can give points to one, two, or three nations. Uh, if you want to give points to one nation, they get all nine of your points. If you want two nations, the top one gets six, the second one gets three. If you want to give to three nations, five, three, one. Maybe it's just the way that my brain works, but it's like, oh yeah, this makes total sense to me. <laughs> this, this is normal. Yeah, this is like, normal and yeah, fine. Yeah, just make it as Baroque as possible. And yeah, there, then there's no reason to fix it. So <laughs> It wasn't super broke. Like it lasted for three years. They did that from 1964 to 1966, uh, 1967. So I was like, hold on. Let's go back to, let's go back to the this top 10 thing where you have 10 points, distribute them how you want. In 1971 and 1973, I was like, hold my beer, I can make this more complicated. We went back to two-person juries, which, cool, fine, like it, dig it. Uh, One person is under 25, the other one is over 25. There needs to be at least a 10-year age difference between the two of them. Which, already, that just feels very complicated. That feels like... I think that is the first instance of the Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow teens. um, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) just like the... On one hand, I like this idea. You're making sure that you have both younger and older listeners represented. On the other hand, that feels weirdly specific. And it's something like kind of going back to the X factor thing. Mm-hmm. Like one of the categories that they have are like the like over 25 group. And mm-hmm. it's just like, what is it about the age of 25 that is just like this Logan's run <laughs> was, of, of the music industry? I, I'm just, <laughs> I just love that our brains both went to Logan's run because mm-hmm. I was about to make a crack about Carousel. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and part of this is me watching uh, Hassan Minaj's new series on Netflix, Patriot Act, where he's talking about affirmative action and how uh, having affirmative action directed uh, hiring or place filling in college admissions is fine. Just saying we want, you know, we want to have this percentage of our student body represent this thing. It's really weird to say we need two black people now. Oh yeah, yeah. Or or it's weird to say we need two Bulgarians right now. Or we need one person who is under 25. We need one person who is over 25, but 10 years older than them. Like, that's just very specific. Uh, but anyways, getting back to how that voting worked after that weird train ride uh, yes. <laughs> into the depths of my brain is that each of those people voted and gave their 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and they awarded two sets of five points, two sets of four, etc., etc. That was very confusing, uh, and they did that for three years until 1973. 
Yeah. And then uh, Sweden won with ABBA. And they're just like, no, we're going to reinvent this. Yeah. Which, uh, like, as, as they do. So Yeah. The, the Swedes do a really good job of like reinterpreting this stuff. So how how is the normal way that we do we talk yeah. about this, Mike? Yeah. So I call this era the usual way based on a video that the EBU put out when uh, Sweden reinvented <laughs> Re- the system again things. a couple of years ago. And, or, and just like hand wave this away as the usual way. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, that's really not helpful for an American audience. <laughs> It's like, wait, what is the usual way? So the usual way is awarding 12 points, 12 points, to the top choice, 10 points to the second place choice, and then 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 uh, to the rest of the top 10. And that system stuck. It wasn't the pooling of points or distributing to like however many countries you felt like. It was very straightforward. Since they had the point system locked down, they could now experiment with how to get results that better reflected what was actually Europe's favorite song. And it took some time. Like, the first major overhaul didn't happen until, like, 1997 when uh, televoting started becoming an experiment. Five countries used a televote in 1997 to help determine how they were going to distribute their points. And that seemed to work well. So in 1998, televote became an option for most countries that wanted to try to implement it. Uh, There were, I believe, five participating countries that weren't able to do like a full televote, but like they weren't penalized for that. It just was not part of their process. In 2001, countries were given the option to either do a televote or use a jury, not a split system. That means that some of the points were determined purely by the public, and then some countries had the professional jury. Well, yeah, you have a sort of a nation-by-nation basis deciding whether they would like the people to vote or they would like to have a a jury of industry professionals. Right. And, uh, I mean, part of that could also be determined by like technological limitations where it'd be like oh well we have to have a jury because our phone system can't handle the televoting in 2003 that changed it was televote only all participating countries had to use a televote uh, to determine their winners and it was interesting at that point because they were still kind of figuring out the semi-final system at the contest that if a country was in the semifinal or like a pre-qualifying round of some sort, if they didn't make it to the final, they didn't get to vote. Uh, Ooh, was, that, ew, that, yeah, that feel that feels borderline unfair. A little bit, but I mean, it's also kind of consistent with like how the semifinals work today, where only the countries that are participating in, the, in that semifinal get vote to vote in that semifinal. True. So just be the 20 to 25 countries that are in the final that would be voting in that final. So, I mean, an argument could be made either way. Yeah, I, I can I can get that. I can understand that. They changed that in 2004 so that any country that participated in any part of the Eurovision competition would get to vote in the final. I think that's probably the best way to go about it because you are getting you're getting data from a much larger sample. But yeah, and then by like 2009, we have something that feels very similar to what we see today, where it's like a 50-50 breakdown between a televote and a jury in a way that theoretically reflects both the people and the professionals. Right. And what was tricky about that system is it... It was 50-50 in that uh, like the public had their vote, the jury had their vote, and then the scores were combined. And then from the, that combined score, it would give you your 12, 10, 8 through 1. It used to just be like, okay, the top 10 countries from the public vote, they get their 12, 10, blah, 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 blah. 
and then the jury, and it's just from that top 10, and then combining the results, and then just seeing of that subset, what were the top 10, which is a little weird. So in 2013, they tweaked it a little bit where all of the participating countries in that vote were part of the subset. So like if there was a semifinal with 15 countries in it. Number one would get 15 points. Number two would be 14 points all the way down. So everything would be ranked. Right. And then and then it would be combined. So theoretically, if something came in last place with the public, but first place with the jury, that would be there would still be the possibility that it could that could like squeak through. Yeah. Or at least get some points from that country, which was a pretty decent tweak uh well and then you also have like weirder things like i think in like 2009 they were still doing this where you would have where you you tabulate those things for both of them and then like the top nine would go through but then the 10 would essentially be like a jury wild card right yeah so like there there was still a lot of kind of figuring out what was the fairest system eurovision's always trying to iterate on that which Mm -hmm. uh yeah uh like in 2010 uh the semifinals started using the same 50-50 system that was used in the 2009 final. So, uh like they'll they'll try it out in one place and then see it in another. Like I believe it was last year's Junior Eurovision contest they were experimenting with online voting options and there was some weirdness to it. I think the ultimate goal is to have online voting be an option for the main Eurovision contest, but yeah, they still have some bugs to work out before uh before they before get that like really a, implemented. Yeah. They were still figuring out how to make changes right, uh, to, to the usual way. Yeah, like the usual iteration, but still at the core, it's the 12, 10, and then 8 through 1. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. Sweden hosted in 2013, and that's when they made the tweak to the like ranking of the public and uh, jury vote. Mm-hmm. They hosted again in 2016. And, and they completely redid things again. And like Sweden seems to be the innovator here in the mm-hmm. in the scoring system. Like they seem to lead the way and everybody seems to be like, yeah, that's a good thing. We should do that. Since 2016, the jury gives their points separately from the televote. Those are separate elements. It's what they do in uh, Melody Festivalen, which I liked when they did that in Melody Festivalen before they did it at Eurovision because I thought it added a little bit of extra drama. It meant that you did need to go through all the votes and that things could get radically altered in sort of the final moments of the show, which is which as something that wants ratings, it's a very good thing to do. At present, the jury gives their points and you go country to country and they give you their, their 12 and their 10 and their 8 to 1. Uh, usually you just see their 8 to 1 on the screen and then they read off their 12 points. In 2018, they made a fun little tweak to sort of what, what they what they we talked about with 2013, where you're giving sort of like you get a ranked list, you get 15, 14, 13, 12, etc. Rather than giving that like 15, 15 actual points, they, they've done some like statistical wizardry, basically, uh, to put things on a curve so that entries after 10th place aren't completely hampered by like one juror just like really hating their song. Which is good. I, I don't think that it had probably too much of an impact, but I mean, it's nice that we're theoretically getting nicer point values out of that. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that I haven't seen any sort of statistical analysis after the after this tweak. Yeah, uh, I, w- I would love to see what the data looks like there and like what the actual point breakdowns were to, to see if there were literally like fractions of a point separating like 10th and 11th on some mm-hmm. of those really close things like how uh, Romania this year didn't get through. Right. I would love to see if there's like data that shows, oh, wow, this really was a squeaker for whatever country made it through. Uh, but anyway, so the jury gives their points. We get that. We have that score. We have that top three list. And we're like, holy crap, how is Austria there? Because that's what happened this year. 
Uh, but then you have the televote. Uh, and the thing about the televote that's great is that they tabulate everybody's 12, 10, and 8 to 1 for each country's televotes. And then they add those all together and they give you the combined total. And they read from like the bottom of the list up, which is great because you get to see who plays last with the, with the people. And I've got to say, like being in the room when oh, yeah, that but- happens is like just the gasps that can happen mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, in, in Kiev. Austria, I think either the last country or the second to last country to get 12 points from like one of the juries, I believe it was Bulgaria's jury. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like great, great for Austria. And then they got zero points from the public vote. And everyone's just like, oh, <laughs> and, and yeah, like everybody, and there were other favorites that people were just like, whoa, like this didn't get m- many points from the public at all. And mm-hmm. just like really shocking. And kind of fun so <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's fun it allows you to see how music industry professionals opinions differs from the public opinion and again like it plays it, it seems like it's very fun in the room there it's very fun in the room as an american just watching this going oh man i thought that was going to do really well also since the numbers that we're working with are like they're just flying by so quickly it's it's not like you can keep track of the math uh, yeah. as it's going on because what was what was happening particularly when conchita one well i think i think when conchita won i think about when alexander ryback won like we knew like two-thirds of the way through right and it's just like oh yeah by this point oh yeah it was also like when azerbaijan won where it's like oh there are still like four countries that need to give their points but they're so far ahead at this point that it's just like oh yeah it's just math like if they get zero points from here on out and another country the second place gets nothing but 12s they still can't catch up so it's like oh there's no tension here at all right splitting this up brought that tension back in a good way i think yeah yeah like like i think back uh in 2016 when this was first introduced and it's just like ooh, is russia gonna overtake australia and And ukraine Ukraine? and it's just like oh are are there enough points in play because it's just like you don't know how many points are like available you just around the bend what the difference are yeah so it's like okay he needs like at least 400 points to get through and it was only like 390 or something that he got so that that was intense and fun even like this year there was like room for okay what if cyprus wins like cyprus could could sneak it could be like a dark horse in this and it was just wonderful yeah i like i i think this change has been like fantastic and it's one of the things that i love about eurovision is how it just gives you that sort of election night feel back when the consequences weren't (laughs) yeah no like Oh man, just that, just just the phrase that election night feel just re- just brought me back to the horror of the last election night party I went to. Ah oh, man, this is this is great, uh, and it seems like Sweden in particular leads the way in kind of innovating on these things. But uh, I, I do like to see the way that they keep making little tweaks to see, hey, how does how does this work? Does this more accurately reflect a a blend of what we're going for? But one thing that you also have to think about in terms of this is what happens if there's a tie. For many, many years of the competition, they did not have a backup plan for if that happened. And then 1969 happened and there was a four-way tie between France, Netherlands, Spain, and the UK. Which is kind of nuts if you think about it, that number one, that a tie had not happened before then. And that the first time that there's a tie, it's a four-way tie. A, it, is, <laughs> it is very much a tie. What they did that year is they're like, everybody wins. Well, and by everybody, we mean those four those four nations specifically. And then the next year, five countries boycotted for reasons that are probably not entirely related to just four countries won the previous year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1970, uh, Spain got to host the contest. And this, this was when Franco was still in power. And Eurovision's not a political contest. Drink. This is one of those times where it's like, ugh, 
okay, we, just, we need to figure this out. So. I, I'm sure that there was a more formal process, but I do like the idea that Spain ended up hosting because they touched their nose last. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! I think I think Spain wanted it. Yeah, yeah. So, Spain probably yeah. wanted it. It's it was a different era. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so that happened, and suddenly they had to be like, okay, what is our backup plan for if this happens again? So now there is a countback system where once we have two nations that have tied, and they they sort of count back to figure out who is the actual winner. As of 2016, when we had that wonderful split between the the televote and the jury vote. The public vote outweighs the jury vote. That is sort of like the the main tiebreaker. But if they're still tied after that, if they still have an equal amount of votes from both the public and the jury, that goes down to the country that received the points from the most countries. As a so, and that's a 2003 edition. Uh, if they are still tied, uh, then they go down to which country received the most dues points, which country got the most twelves from other nations, and if heaven help us, they are still tied and it's the most tens, and we keep going down until there's a dang winner. This was used in 1991 uh, between Sweden and France. Uh, Sweden won based on their 10 points. So they do actually have to like have the, the multiple steps because they, they can really just tie, tie, tie. And then as of 2008, they have that implemented for all places, not just first, which is how Norway got through in 2012 and Bulgaria didn't. Yeah, which was kind of a disappointment in retrospect because uh, Bulgaria really turned it out that year. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and 2G uh, was was last in the, the points with Stay. Uh, I mean, yeah, both of those songs were fine. We could go down into like a weird sliding door scenario or what what would happen if Bulgaria got through. Uh, they might have also placed last. Yeah, and it, it's not talked about as much in the semifinals, partly because it wasn't implemented. Like since it was only for first place, like up until 2008, like having to worry about the semifinals wasn't as big of a deal, I guess. Although, again, it was probably a case of, oh, we don't have to think about this until we need to think about this. And like, I'm, I'm sure like had there been a tie in like 2007 for the last spot in the semifinal, they probably would have knocked it out. The but, same system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at least they had some sort of plan to fall back on. But yeah, I mean, I think the ties haven't really been that much of an issue. Like you do sort of see it uh, every once in a while if you like really dig into the results from uh, the various semifinals uh because when they announce semifinals they never announce the points they just say like these are the 10 countries that go through and it's not until well after the fact that you actually see what the numbers are and be like, right. oh. they, 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 they don't drop the numbers until after like the final has happened because they don't want that to sway things right yeah and like you, you and it doesn't really make a difference if a country came in sixth place or seventh place in the semifinal it, like they got to the final that that's where it actually counts so exactly Anyways, that's that's voting, and there. I just love that there's like a deep, uh, rich vein of of stuff to talk about, just because of the many myriad ways they have just kind of like tweaked and said, "Okay, does this work? How about this?" Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that I think it's helpful to go over this is like I, I think of the Eurovision party that I had in 2016, and my friends who had not seen Eurovision before and were like watching the results are just like just so overwhelmed by all the numbers. And it's like, what is happening? Why is this happening? What do these numbers mean? And yeah, like there, there's a lot going on, but I think they've landed on the most straightforward system that gives the most accurate result I, I i don't know what they could do to make this more accurate i don't know like there's always a controversy of like 
people want it to be like 100% public vote and uh, other people who like still want the juries. Like, I like that the juries are part of the process because <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that's a nice sort of check and balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, we could have like a whole bunch of like yodeling rapping uh <laughs> taking over the finals which will get old after the fifth or sixth version mm-hmm. of that so. especially if it's the same year because then you're just diluting the vote exactly anyways uh that's going to do it for this episode of the euro what thanks for listening the euro what podcast is hosted by ben smith that's me and mike mccomb that's me you can find us on our website at eurowhat.com and on twitter facebook and instagram at eurowhat if you'd like to contact us by email we can be reached at esc at what else is on tv We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. Word of mouth is still the best way to get folks to check out our podcast and listen, so be sure to tell your friends about the EuroWhat podcast. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe on the app of your choice also helps other fans find us, so please do that. Uh, We'll be back in a couple weeks to try and make sense of what's new in Eurovision. 